0: Hello and welcome to Studio Class. I am Megan Enan, your host and diva sidekick. Wondering how to build your singing career and still make enough money to survive? It's not always easy, and we certainly didn't cover this during Studio Class at school. However, I'm here to give you the micro actions that over time will transform your relationship to your career. Let's do this. the rock and the music and I like to turn the cha-cha-cha hey. I am like the rock and the music and I like to turn the cha-cha-cha Thanks for joining me for episode number nine. This episode is brought to you by 29 Days to Diva from The Sybaritic Singer. Who else? We're nearing the end of this season of 29 Days to Diva. Can you believe it? It always seems to fly by. You know, February is the shortest month. So, but that's not all. This is a big year over in Sybaritic Singerland. I'm also taking the leap and bringing you 29 Days to Diva The Course. Divas, this course is designed for you. These are the micro actions that will transform your love affair with your singing career. Be one of the first people to hear about the launch by visiting bit.ly slash 29 days to Diva. In this ninth episode, I'm going to take a little bit of a different path. I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to talk about some things that I've been mentioning in the studio. I work with singers of all different ages and abilities, and motivation and practicing are universal themes. So I'm just going to tell you some of the things that I've been talking about with my students. Here we go. First up is intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Now, these may be familiar terms to you, or they may be slightly new. But I'm sure that you can infer that intrinsic is internal, inside of you, and extrinsic is external, something that comes from uh, outside of you. And so when we're thinking about intrinsic, we're thinking about things that are directly connected to our personal beliefs, our values, who we are internally. And extrinsic is related to those motivating factors that are outside of us, anything that's designed outside of us to motivate us to do whatever the action is. So the metaphor that I've been using with my students is, say you have a big math test coming up, and you're really going to study for this math test. And you're thinking, okay, I'm going to really study for this math test because I like being good at math. So that's my intrinsic motivation for studying for this math test. I like being good at math. Or perhaps you're thinking, People that are good at math are good citizens, and that's important to me. So fill in the blank however you want to. But those are personal values right there. And people that are good at math are good citizens is your personal belief. And that's an intrinsic motivation that you have to study for your math test. Now, if you're thinking extrinsic motivations, then perhaps you're thinking about the grade that you're going to get on that math test. Any sort of grade is an extrinsic motivator, right? Extrinsic motivation are just things that are set up outside of you. Grades wouldn't mean anything if we didn't ascribe emotional weight to them. You might be able to make an intrinsic connection if you say something like, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel valuable to be good at school and good grades are a sign of that. And so therefore, I'm going to get good grades, whatever. But the idea being, that there are intrinsic and extrinsic motivating factors at play all the time. Take running, for example. If you're outside and you're running and you're like, man, running is just the best. I love being outside. Running is the thing that makes me feel the most alive. And so I'm just going to run and run and run, right? (laughs) Then you take my scary dog, as an example, and my scary dog is chasing you down the street. And that's an extrinsic motivating force. (laughs) So you're thinking, I am going to run faster to get away from this big scary dog. So intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. The reason I bring that up to my students is because I want them to think on their way to their voice lessons about their intrinsic motivations for singing. They all know their extrinsic motivations. They all know that they've got an audition coming up. They've got solo and ensemble festival coming up. They know that they want to get into the top choir, or the top show choir, you know, those really important things. And they want to get into those. Those are extrinsic motivating forces. So that, you know, I tell them, you know, you, your parents aren't saying we'll love you more, you know, if you take voice lessons. But what is it that's inside of you? What what are you thinking about when you come to voice lessons? What is compelling you to come do this? Because voice lessons aren't easy. It's not the easiest thing in the world to show up week after week to ask someone to give you criticism and feedback on your voice, on your instrument, We we take this for granted as musicians because we're so used to showing up and and opening up ourselves to this criticism. But there are not that many adults in the world that were willing to go see someone maybe besides their therapist, like on a weekly basis, that their their therapist or their trainer, you know. And (laughs) they they don't go see anyone weekly and say, How can I be better at this thing that I that I desperately want to do in my life? And so For singing lessons, we do this all the time and we're totally comfortable with it. But the reason we can do that is because we have these intrinsic motivating forces that compel us to want to sing. So I want you divas to think about your intrinsic motivations for making music, right? So even if you aren't a singer, you know, think about your intrinsic motivations for whatever kind of creative pursuits you are compelled to follow at the moment. If you're singing, think about the reasons why you put yourself through the heartache of, of rejections sometimes, or, you know, the, the overwhelming joy of successes in singing. It's not because of that, that crazy cycle, that crazy emotional cycle. It's because of something deeper than that. And I want you to think about your intrinsic motivations for singing. You don't have to tell me what they are. Those are just for you. Your intrinsic motivations are just for you. But I bet... That it'll keep you a lot more balanced as a singer if you really think about your intrinsic motivations for showing up day in and day out. And that leads me to talking about intentions. At the beginning of my voice lessons, I always have my students set intentions. We set two intentions at the beginning of voice lessons. And most of them have a tendency to misunderstand. The idea behind intentions, you know, especially if they're young and they're getting started, they think that I'm asking them to lesson plan, and that's not quite it. Obviously, as their teacher, I want their inf- I want you know their input on what we're working on and what they'd like to focus on in the lesson. Um, when it comes to things like repertoire and things like that, but I'm also you know bringing my skills to bear for lesson planning. And so we have a conversation very early on that's about. Intentions, And I say, I want your intrinsic motivations to inform or inspire your intentions. So your intentions are what you're bringing to that lesson for the, that 30 minutes or that 45 minutes or that hour or longer, however long you get to meet with your voice teacher. So your intentions are how you are bringing your best self to that lesson. So I always have them say, I intend to, and then fill in the blank. So (laughs) this always takes some time, but it puts them in this habit of saying that they have agency in this lesson, that they're not just coming to me and saying, um, change me, make me a singer, make me better. I'm saying, you are already a singer. Here, we're working on these things together. You're bringing intentions. I'm bringing intentions as your teacher. And oftentimes I, when we first start talking about intentions, I tell them, you know, that first lesson, I'm telling them, well, my intentions as your teacher are, you know, I intend to help make this a really positive and comfortable experience for you, right? <laughs> you know, you just have to encourage them that it's not going to be that scary, right? I'm going to ask you to make a lot of weird sounds, but it's totally okay. <laughs> and then, you know, they they can take the initiative and say, I intend to focus on resonance throughout the entire lesson. Or I intend to show you my rhythmic accuracy in this piece, etc, etc. So it's really about what they want to bring to bear during that lesson. And they feel like they have some direction from their own ideas, right? So from their own intrinsic motivations. And so the intentions are at the beginning of the, the lesson. And I would highly encourage you divas to start doing intentions at the beginning of your practice plans. I find that are the practice sessions. I find that intentions are just this wonderful centering moment. I picked this up, obviously, from yoga at some point, where, you know, your yoga teacher is always saying, set an intention for your practice today. <laughs> and I go, And, you know, they're like, maybe you just want to stay connected to the breath. And that is great. And I go, okay, (laughs) like I love staying connected to the breath. So I picked this up from yoga somewhere, but I want to encourage you to use this as part of your singing practice. And so when you get into the studio, when you get into your practice space, and you sit there and you go, I intend to fill in the blank. What is it that you're bringing to that practice session that's going to move you forward in your path? And that brings me to practice plans. So I've got a 12 12-point 12 list on practice plans that I want to go over with you that I share with my students. So it's 12 points plus a couple bonus points along the way. So the first one, we always start with solfège in the studio. I'm not sure if If everyone that's listening, it feels really comfortable with solfege. Uh, But I find this to be incredibly helpful, particularly if you weren't born with the golden gift of perfect pitch. So solfege is really just a system for us learning to be able to pick up musical patterns. And those patterns that are most relevant to us are are the concept of intervallic singing. So as singers, we don't get to do fingerings, you know, for for these different musical patterns. We have to know the pitches in our mind, and we have to sing those pitches in the order that they're written. And the harder and more challenging and, and you know, less diatonic your music gets, the more challenging the solfege would be, the more challenging those intervals are going to be. And so I use solfege to this day, Oh. I would say uh, constantly, nearly constantly. (laughs) So particularly for singing and new music, I learn everything on solfege first. I have my students practice solfeging in in movable dough and law-based minor, but I also encourage them if they're more comfortable using fixed dough, that's fine. I use fixed dough in most of my in most of my practice sessions because of singing in constantly changing key signatures <laughs> and or absent key signatures. So, and it just really reinforces kind of having a home pitch no matter no matter if there is or is not a home pitch in the music itself. So, Solfege is first, like I said, Um, and that's when that's when we really practice things like key signatures, reinforcing, looking at the music and identifying patterns from a macro level down to a micro level. And I'd love to hear about how you use solfege in your own practice or in your studio. So hit me up. Let me know. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Mezzo Enon. You can find me there. My last name is Enon and it's spelled I H N E N. So at Mezzo Enon. And that brings me to number two, count and clap. So this is one of the parts that students love to like just gloss over the counting and clapping because they want to just get into the music. So they they often mix points two and three together because count and clap is point number two and count sing is point number three. They just think, oh, if I just skip to count singing, then it's going to be fine. So I always tell them that it's kind of like, (laughs) sorry, these are, you can see I'm, I'm full of terrible metaphors in my voice studio. It's kind of like those champagne pyramids. You want to fill the first glass until it's overflowing and flowing into the rest of the levels of champagne flutes or champagne glass, glasses. So. You know, for my under 21 students, I always tell them that, you know, when they're of age, then they can think of this as champagne pyramids, but uh, think of it as apple juice or something until then. (laughs) Um, So count and clap is one of those things where, particularly for rhythmically challenging music, you want to figure out exactly how the rhythm is laid out by counting and clapping, counting out loud, just speaking the counts. And clapping the rhythm so that you're not learning the rhythm with stress or tension in the voice. Because I don't want to hear tension creeping in when all of your brain power is focused on the counting. Work that out with counting and clapping before you go to putting it into the voice with the pitches. What happens is that students get so stuck thinking about the rhythm or getting, you know, uh, waylaid by a certain rhythmic example that then they let all of this tension creep into the l- laryngeal area or the base of the tongue is just like tighter than all get out and they don't even realize it because their mind is focused on the rhythm. So, my second point on the practice plan is count and clap. So, count out loud and clap. And I already gave you the preview to count no, to number 3 on the list, which is count singing. So count singing, I find, is one of the parts that is really important when it comes to memorization. If you're a singer that struggles with memorization, go back to your count singing. More often than not, you're missing some rests in the interludes in between phrases or you are, you haven't focused on mapping the breath over the course of the phrase. That's one of the major things in count singing is that you're counting, but leaving out the counts where you're breathing. So you're really building the muscle memory around the breath. You are mapping the breath over the course of the phrase through the counting. It also starts to put the muscle memory in of this entrance is on one this entrance is on three you know where your entrances are you know where your cutoffs are that's another one that younger singers and well we'll just keep it at younger singers and pretend that that's the only area that's a problem Uh, younger singers uh uh-huh tend to forget to cut off where the composer suggested the cutoff should be as in the composer suggested or wrote exactly where the cutoff should be. (laughs) And we don't want to be lazy singers and just careen right through that. So count singing is your key to mapping the breath over the course of the phrase and better onsets and ends of the phrase. That brings us to Practice plan item number four, and I call this toe-toe-toe or individual vowel. So I always ask my students, why do you think I want you to sing this on an individual vowel? Like toe-toe-toe. So I want the same vowel sound for each note. So you're singing, you're singing all of the pitches, you're singing all of the rhythms accurately, hopefully. Now we've just opened it up to one syllable, one syllable with an individual vowel. And we want to find toe toe-toe is one that I often have them do that on. And I ask them, you know, why do you why do you think I want you to sing this on an individual vowel? And they usually struggle for a while. And then we get to resonance. Yes, toe to toes are the part where we map resonance over the course of the phrase. So once you've set up your understanding of this is what an O vowel feels like in my best resonance, then you sing all of your piece on that vowel until you know, oh, this part, this phrase feels like this in the resonance, this feels like this in the resonance. And then you are able to check it out if your resonance changes as you go through register shifts. That's a place where you get to break it down. So point number four on the practice plan, toe, toe, toes can get broken down into some sub points and that would be up to you. So just noticing when you head into, you know, that second verse or whatever, and it happens to go down into like, or towards your chest voice and you're having some difficulties keeping the resonance, you know, vibrant in that area. This would be an excellent place to work on toe, toe, toes or individual vowel. So you're practicing, oh, am I able to keep the resonance the same? Am I able to keep the vowel the same as I'm going through these register shifts all the time? Then we move into thinking about text. And before we ever start singing text, we speak the text. So I always tell my students to speak the text poetically. And that means for all of your languages, you're figuring out what is the natural rhythm of this speech? What is the natural rhythm of this poem or this prose, depending on what it is that you're singing? And then moving on to number six on the practice plan is speak the text in rhythm. So you've taken your understanding of maybe where the long and short syllables are, where the stressed syllables are, depending on the language. And now you're taking that understanding and moving it into speaking the text in rhythm. You're able to complete the rhythmic accuracy or the rhythm of what the composer wrote and yet still be true to the language. So speak the text poetically, speak the text in rhythm, and then we get to one of my favorite divas, and this is vowels only. Vowels only is so much harder when you're first getting started than it sounds. <laughs> so, vowels only, speaking and singing. Take your entire text, just speak the vowels all the way through absolutely no consonants, just vowels, try and connect one to the other and really focus on what is the tongue movement? What is the lip movement? Really, what are the articulator movements going from this vowel to this vowel? Can I make this a connective thread of resonant sound even when I'm speaking it? So vowels only speaking until you feel very comfortable with that, then vowels only singing. So then you just sing all the way through, vowels only, and then you're able to pick up, oh, am I making some weird cuts in the musical line or the musical phrase? Am I making some weird um, changes on the vowel where the vowel should be staying the same? Um, You have to check for yourself. And this would be a really excellent time to record yourself, in fact, All of these practice plan items could have a sub point of record yourself doing this. (laughs) So vowels only, speaking and singing, and then record those so that you're really listening for resonance on each individual vowel. And then that brings us to number eight, which is text. Text is focusing on you've taken your idea of vowels only. Now we're doing all of the text and we're really focusing on the diction. Is your diction clear? Is your diction appropriate? Really focus on appropriate diction. So you're not overdoing your diction. You're not underdoing your diction. There's a fine line there. I understand that um, if you need help, find a coach in that language. It's really going to make such a big difference. The only way you're really going to know if you need help in that area is by getting feedback. So go put yourself out there. And particularly, this would be a good idea just to get a coach in general. <laughs> like just work with a coach here now on your text because you'd rather get the feedback in a coaching situation than throwing yourself out there for audition after audition. And you leave the room and they don't give you any feedback. But in their minds, they're going, oh, she can't sing in French work her life. So. You don't want to be losing out on auditions because you didn't do the work of getting the feedback that you needed on your text. All right. So text was number eight on the practice plan. And that brings us to number nine, which is phrasing. This is another chance to map the breath. We're thinking about vowels only was a chance for us to really work on vowel efficiency, which in my studio, everybody goes, Miss Megan, when she says vowel efficiency, that's her code for breath control, right? So vowel efficiency is our vowels-only practice plan number seven item. But then we get to phrasing, and we're thinking about, oh, okay, how does this entire phrase go together? How does it musically fit together? And how does it textually fit together? Thinking about those things. Start to put those ideas together when you get to number nine. And then number 10. Number 10 really goes with number nine, but they're slightly different. You have the phrasing. And then you have dynamics. Let your understanding of the phrasing lead you to make informed decisions on your dynamic changes. And then we start to get into more fun things. Number 11 is when we start to think about facial expression. I hope that you were probably thinking about it beforehand. I mean, it wouldn't be impossible to think about facial expression at any step. But this is one of the times on your practice plan where you're really intentionally thinking about facial expression. So maybe you have a practice time where your intention is, I intend to focus on facial expression the entire time. Really think about wearing your performance on your face authentically. This is not your moment to overact. This is not your moment to really find the extremes of your facial expression. This is about being authentically connected with your face to what you're singing in the music at all times. All right, so this is t- a two-parter facial expression is practice it in the mirror. Identify what you're doing with your facial expressions. Pick the muscles like, oh, my cheekbones, are, I'm able to see my cheekbones pop out here or I'm raising my eyebrows to show surprise or I get those little Duchenne smile lines when I'm, when I'm really happy and I'm showing that on stage or I'm showing that in an audition setting. And that's great. So I'm gonna focus on how can I feel that from the inside so that I know that I'm doing it when I can't see myself. So then, so you've got practice it in the mirror, study it academically, study it like a theater professional, what muscles are moving in my face to show this emotion. Great. Got it. Can I connect from the inside with those muscles so that when I'm not looking in the mirror, I'm able to activate those same facial expressions? Then you have to do it again and video record yourself and then see if you're really able to do it. Video record yourself a bunch of times and ask your accompanist to make mistakes so that, that you will be surprised by something along the way and see if you can continue to stay in your facial expression th- that you have already designed. And all of these things, divas, all of the items on the practice plan are leading you to excellent memorization. Because you've really set up your fullest understanding of the music. And that brings us to number 12, our last item on the practice plan for today, which is memorization. If you have done all of these things, then your memorization should already start to be in your muscle memory. You should already have it. So, but I want to talk about a couple of things. These are our bonus, our bonus elements of today's practice plan. Because I want to talk about three memorization techniques that I really like. The first one is called text three ways, or at least that's what I call it. Text three ways. Text three ways is look at your music and write out every single word of the text while you're looking at the music. Then put the music away, write out again, every single word of your music. Then the third one is to, without looking at your music or any of the text that you've already written, write the very first line of each phrase that you sing or the very first word of each phrase that you sing. Then the way that you synthesize text three ways is to perform it or to practice it with each one of those documents. So practice it with looking at your music, the full music, practice looking at it, practice with looking at the full text, just text by itself, and then practice with the document that has just the first word of each phrase, then Put them all away and see how close you are. All right. My second bonus memorization tip is blocking. If you are a kinesthetic learner, blocking is your friend when it comes to singing (laughs) and comes to memorization. So blocking is really just, blocking as a memorization technique is really just you practicing that when I move over here or I'm going to move over here when I say this line and the ability of putting a movement with a line with a particular phrase of the music starts to really embed it in your understanding in your memory and in your memory and then you're so much more able to execute in the moment time after time after time. So if you're like me, when we get to the blocking aspect of getting on stage, it makes the memorization so much faster and so much easier because now I have these physical movements to pair with what I'm doing at any given moment. Um, The point about this that I want to make is that what you can block at any point in time, this doesn't have to be just until your director gives you one, try blocking out scenes at home. It's going to make your singing a lot more interesting. Try blocking all of your scenes in your practice studio before you get there and then be extremely willing to change anything. But it's already, you've done the work because you show up and you have some blocking ideas. So if you get one of those directors, who's like, um, I just want to see what you would naturally do in this scene. And you're you're like, you're not one of those people. Then you are going to have some ideas to bring to the table rather than just feeling stressed out and boring on stage. (laughs) Um, and blocking kind of bleeds into the concept, the last bonus tip of memorization that I want to talk about, which is called Memory Palace. Many of you may know this concept of Memory Palace because uh, super memorizers use this all the time for memorizing entire books, uh, all sorts of numbers, things like that. And we can use it for memorizing pieces of music or any sort of opera like aspect, you know, the blocking, the... Um, Text, the phrasing, et cetera, et cetera. What you want to think about for memory palace is m- think of a place that you know, a physical place that you know exquisitely. Think about a place that you know so intimately that you could walk in, in your memory, in your imagination, you could walk into the room and know every nook and cranny. This is the the basic fundamental understanding of memory palace is that you have a room like that. In your imagination that you can walk in and for the way that we would use it for memorizing music is that you would place certain phrases or words on objects in the room. So, for example, I've used, you know, my childhood bedroom and you put the first, you know, the first phrase is like when I touch the door handle. The second phrase is touching the light switch. The third phrase was opening a drawer You know, those kinds of things. And the idea being that you just want to pick a place that you know so well that what you're doing when you get to practicing actual memorized singing, then you're kind of just going through the room in your mind as you're singing it. And that there right there, friends, is the concept of memory palace. So I hope this has been helpful. I hope this has given you some things to think about or maybe update your own practice plans. Like I said, I'd love to hear about your practice plans. So hit me up on Twitter. I'm at enan, And I'll go through our practice plan steps one more time. Number one was solfege. Number two is count and clap. Number three was count sing, mapping the breath over the course of the phrase. Number four was toe, to toe, or individual vowel. Number five was speak the text poetically. Number six, speak the text in rhythm. Number seven, vowels only, speaking and singing number eight, text, focusing on diction, number nine, phrasing, number 10, dynamics, number 11, facial expression, number 12, memorization, and your three bonus memorization tips were text three ways, blocking, and memory palace. I hope you enjoyed this plan. Now it's your turn to tell me your favorite techniques. Talk to you soon. For episode 9 of Studio Class, brought to you by the Sybaritic Singer. Many thanks to Juanitos for the music featured in this episode. Hey, divas. Did you know there's one very simple way you can support our show to ensure we keep producing more content? Simply head over to iTunes and give us a rating. First, subscribe to the podcast, and then you can rate the podcast by selecting 1 to 5 stars. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider giving us a 5-star rating. This takes less than a minute to do, and with each new rating, it only boosts the visibility in iTunes for studio class. It means a lot to me and to the show. Higher ratings means greater discoverability. Thanks for helping me do my part to be a shepherd for our art form. Do you have questions about this podcast or the information I've presented here? Please go to SybariticSinger.com and get in touch. Sybaritic is spelled S-Y-B. A-R-I-T-I-C. So please go to SybariticSinger.com and get in touch. Until next time, divas!